Nahum, and uh, we'll study Habakkuk next Lord's Day morning, uh, God willing. Nahum chapter 3. Woe to the bloody city, all full of lies and plunder. No end to the prey. The crack of the whip and rumble of the wheel, galloping horse and bounding chariot, horsemen charging, flashing sword and glittering spear, hosts of slain, heaps of corses, dead bodies without end, they stumble over the bodies. And all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and of deadly charms, who betrays nations with her whorings and peoples with her charms. Behold, I am against you, declares the Lord of hosts, and will lift up your skirts over your face. And I will make nations look at your nakedness and kingdoms at your shame. I will throw filth at you and treat you with contempt and make you a spectacle. And all who look at you will shrink from you and say, Wasted is Nineveh. Who will grieve for her? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Are you better than Thebes that sat by the Nile with water around her, her rampart a sea, and water her wall? Cush was her strength, Egypt too, and that without limit. Put and the Libyans were her helpers. Yet she became an exile. She went into captivity. Her infants were dashed in pieces at the head of every street. For her honored men, lots were cast, and all her great men were bound in chains. You also will be drunken. You will go into hiding. You will seek a refuge from the enemy. All your fortresses are like fig trees with first ripe frig, figs. If shaken, they fall into the mouth of the eater. Behold, your troops are women in your midst. The gates of your land are wide open to your enemies. Fire has devoured your bars. Draw water for the siege. Strengthen your forts. Go into the clay. Tread the mortar. Take hold of the brick mold. There will the fire devour you. The sword will cut you off. It will devour you like the locust. Multiply yourselves like the locust. Multiply like the grasshopper. You increased your merchants more than the stars of the heavens. The locust spreads its wings and flies away. Your princes are like grasshoppers, your scribes like clouds of locusts settling on the fences. In a day of cold, when the sun rises, they fly away. No one knows where they are. Your shepherds are asleep, O king of Assyria. Your nobles slumber. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather them. There is no easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. All who hear the news about you Clap their hands over you, for upon whom has not your unceasing, upon whom has not come your unceasing evil? So verse one uh, kind of stands by itself. It's a woe uh, upon Nineveh, and these are the final judgments uh, on Nineveh. There are some familiar pictures, some familiar results a reiteration of Nahum's words, and they really are graphic descriptions as well. God first pronounces the woe and calls the city a bloody city. He actually called uh, Jerusalem a bloody city in Ezekiel 34 and pronounced woes on uh, Jerusalem as well. 
many woes could be pronounced in the prophets. There's about 94 in the scripture and almost all of them uh, to evildoers. One exception is when Paul says, woe to me if I preach not the gospel. But it's called the bloody city, uh, uh, like a nickname. We know there's certain cities that have nicknames. We lived in the Boston area for a while, and Boston is called Beantown, and Boston is called the Cradle of Liberty, and uh, uh, Las Vegas is called Sin City, and New York is called the Big Apple, but none of those cities is called the, the bloody city. Uh, that is uh, God's name for Nineveh. Their characteristics is that they are full of lies and plunder. They rampage through many people and cities and nations. Last week we saw uh, the uh, plunder and all the storehouses that they had already. But it also says they're full of lies. This is, uh, this is satanic, isn't it? The, the devil is the father of lies. So a city or a people that are full of lies uh, are following Satan. They, they imitate Satan. They, they go by what Satan would tempt them uh, to do. Their wealth was gained by conquest. The, the verse says there's no end to their prey. Remember the, the picture of the lion in chapter 2. It said there's the lion, there's the lioness, all the cubs, everybody is peaceful and, and happy. They're just sitting there. No one goes up to the lion and says, hey, let's go tease that lion and his family a little bit. Uh, the, uh, the next verses say the, the lion tore the prey. He, he took everything and, and kept it, and, and everybody's happy and safe. And, and that this picture r reminds us there's no end to the wealth. There's no end to what they had. But God says, woe to you. And we'll see now in these next few verses he just reminds them, I'm going to take it apart. Here's one of the most uh, picturesque things, but it's that repetition of the chaos uh, of the battle. Look at the strong words. Uh, in verse 2, crack and rumble, galloping and bounding, uh, charging and flashing and glittering in verse 3. All those pictures that we, we saw some of them before. The, the battle came right up to the wall, and after that, that was it, the flashing and all this activity. Uh, and Nahum uh, puts it right there. This is what's going to happen. Uh, the result of the chaos is that there's hosts of slain, heaps of courses, and they literally stumble over the dead bodies. The dead bodies are, are without end. Well, you say that's a gruesome picture, but that, that is repeated over and over in, in, in history. In the Battle of Gettysburg, in three days, 51,000 men were, were either killed or wounded. There, there's an estimate that when the two armies separated, that thousands and thousands of men were just left on the battlefield, either to die or already dead. In the early days of photography, you can see pictures of Gettysburg. And there's just men laying dead here and there. There's just people laying dead all over the place. 10,000 people, 10,000 men uh, are unaccounted for. Uh, in, in modern war, it's a little bit different. Somebody can literally be blown to bits. In the Civil War, maybe it was rare that you got blown to bits, but 10,000 men couldn't be accounted for after the battle. 
51,000 killed uh, or, or wounded. Literally, there was mass graves and, and the people in Gettysburg were left. The, the, armies, the armies got out of there. Lee had to get going before he was chased because he was routed and he had to reorganize. And the other, the other general hesitated. Even Lincoln said, why didn't we go? Why didn't we go get him? And the people were left with a, a harvest of death and it's repeated throughout history again and again. So even though God paints this picture, this is really what happened. This is, this is what God is saying. You have all this wealth. You have all this st stuff, but this is what I'm going to make it into. Uh, verse 4, here comes the reason. Uh, the, the prostitute. The prostitute. Well, we haven't talked about any prostitutes. Was Nineveh known for, for prostitutes? But notice, all for the countless whorings of the prostitute, graceful and deadly charms who betrays nations with their whorings and people with their charms. Well, did they have, did they have one woman that went around and, and, uh, and, and flaunted? No, it's, it's, it's just like Revelation that we'll see in a moment. It's a representation. It's a representation of what they did to other nations. It's a representation of it. Revelation 17 and, and verse 2. Come, I will show you the judgment of the great prostitute who is seated on many waters, uh, literally over the, over the whole world, with whom the kings of the earth have committed sexual immorality and with the wine of whose sexual immorality the, the dwellers of the earth have become drunk. In the book of Revelation, God characterizes two of the world's most prevalent sins, sexual immorality and drunkenness. And the prostitute is involved. The evil sin of sexual immorality. We, we have to be reminded never to dull our senses to the sin of sexual immorality. Sexual immorality has cost the lives of millions and millions of babies because they had no answer for the sexual revolution. Oh, get a condom? No, me and my boyfriend were half drunk. We just had sex and conceived, but we didn't want. It was an unwanted pregnancy. Up until that time, a person was pregnant, people rejoiced, and you're going to have a baby. They changed the terms. They changed it. Oh, it's a fetus. It's fetal tissue. And you can lie to people as much as you want, but it was a child because God made it a child. And up until that point, everybody said, oh, good, you're having a baby. God have mercy. God have mercy. We've looked at it before. Sexual immorality produces other things. And there was rampant stuff, and they had to put... They had to put the plug in the dike. They had to say, well, let's come up with something else. We'll just say a woman has a right to her own body. Whatever she wants to do, she can do. There's the solution. Unfortunately, the, the wicked solution costs millions of lives of children. And they can somehow, somehow they can reach in there, cut the child up and vacuum it out and think that's not, that's not wrong. It's a, it's a picture of evil nations 
and what they do to the rest of the world. That's what it is. And Revelation is the same thing. Revelation 18, another angel calls out, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Well, what's this angel calling out for? Babylon fell hundreds and hundreds of years before he said that. But it's a picture for all the world systems. You realize that if he said fallen is Rome, uh, uh, John's letter probably wouldn't cross the cross and got on a ship to get across to, to the mainland. What are you talking about fallen is Rome? You can't say that. Where Rome? Instead, he says fallen is Babylon. And they think, oh, just go Babylon, you prophet. Just go Babylon, Christian. And it got to the people who needed to know that eventually God's enemies are all going to be wiped out. It got to people in, the, in that circle that Russ has been talking about. Church after church after church knew that although you're struggling now, God is going to be victorious in the end. That's what, it was. That's what happened in picturesque language. What's his talk about a prostitute? What's his talk about a beast? What's going on? And some of the people that knew got that letter and say, I remember when I was little. Nahum says the same thing. Because the same thing is happening throughout generation after generation after generation. Verse, verse 5 through 7, here's the declaration of Yahweh again. It's a repeat of chapter 2, verse 13. He says, I will speak against you. That's bad. If you say Yahweh speaks against you, then that is going to happen to you. You cannot avoid what God says. People, people forget that. The last day of your life, and, and, and somebody even told that child that we watched, after you die, you, you're, that's it. That's it. You just die. That's it. But God has a word after that. It's not after you die. That's it. You tell a six-year-old, you put, put a lie in their mind. When I die, that's it. Well, that's the life you have. No hope. That's what you tell your kids. Well, kids, I got to tell you, uh, this is what life is like. You, you grow up, you get knocked around, you have all these terrible things happen to you, then you die. That's it. And at your funeral, people will lie and they'll say, at least they're not in pain. God is against them. There's a direct prophetic word. It's ordained results. He's the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of all things. All nature, all nations, all people. That's why God uses locusts to talk to people. That's why God says, look at what I do to the mountains. Look at what I do to the seas. Look at what I could do to the ocean. Look at what I can do in the world. We should never, ever, ever forget the ten plagues on, uh, uh, on Egypt. We should, we should never forget that in time, in history, God is able to do anything that he wants. No one can stay his hand or say to him, what are you doing? And, and a number of those plagues are picked up right in Revelation. It's a, it's a reminder that one day he can say, I want it so dark that you can't see your hand in front of your face. And another day... Uh, he can say, I want to fill the land with so many frogs that you, you can't even imagine it. And that's what he's telling them. Yahweh declares. And then here's the picture of the prostitute. He's going to uncover her. 
And it's astonishing, isn't it? Because it, it reveals shame. And it's strange that women that talk about their escapades sometimes, if you say, well, it sounds like you're a runaround. Sounds like you're a whore. No, I'm not. Inside that prostitute's dress, there is shame. There's guilt. You can't go on the street to a prostitute and, and take their clothes off. They'd, they'd cover up. But their whole job is to lead people astray. But God says, I'm going to show the shame, your shame to everybody. I'm going to show what you really are. But he's talking to Nineveh. He's talking to the country. Isaiah 47, 3, Jeremiah 13, 22, Ezekiel 16, 37. Some of those passages are towards Israel. I'm going to uncover your nakedness. We studied the, we studied the letter to the one church all, already. He said, you don't know that you're poor, wretched, naked, and blind, and you better buy from me the things that correct that. Right now, correct it, because nakedness is a shame. You say, well, a prostitute wants to get naked every day. That's their job. That's what they do. No, there still is shame. There still is guilt. There still is an unnatural condition that God says that he'll happen. They'll make nations and kingdoms. Look, it says Yahweh will make them look at the nakedness and shame. It's a reminder. It's a reminder like those plagues. It's a reminder. You don't go around and say, who is Yahweh that I should serve him? Well, he just said, let the people go. I'm not going to do it. Who's he? You serve God. Have a feast right around here. That's what happens. And then comes Yahweh's barrage. It's actually a barrage of things thrown at them. In verse 6, he's going to cast abominable filth upon you. The New American Standard has a, a, a footnote, detestable things. And uh, it, has been a, it has been something uh, throughout history uh, that people throw things at people that uh, uh, condemned criminals, for instance, where uh, stuff was thrown at them. Uh, you, uh, you, you've probably seen pictures of somebody that's, uh, that's an actor or doing something that, and it's going wrong and, and people are throwing tomatoes or something like that. But what this, this is the idea that Nineveh is passing by and God's going to start throwing filthy things and they'll, they'll be defiled by that. If you're throwing detestable sewage or detestable things or rotten food, pretty soon you're going to stink. What's that smell? Oh, people were throwing rotten vegetables at me all day. People will... God will treat them with contempt. He'll, he'll make them vile. The new King James, despicable. Nobody would, nobody would want that. Don't come into my house. You smell. I'm not staying near you. You stink. But that's what God is going to do. And make them a spectacle. God will do things to them to make them a disgusting picture to everyone who witnesses it. He has the power to do it. Verse 7, here's the onlooker's reaction, just like we would think. They shrink back. But they also say something. Wasted is Nineveh. And then a couple of questions. Who will grieve for her? Who will bemoan? Who will feel sorry? Where shall I seek comforters for you? Remember at Lazarus's uh, death, 
people came from Jerusalem, two and a half, three miles away. They came just to be with Mary and Martha and to cry and weep. And they sat around and cried and weep. We're so sorry. And they, they carried on for a few days. Well, where are we going to find those comforters for Nineveh? Where could we find anybody? It's like going to a funeral where everybody says, well, I'm glad he's dead. Dearly beloved, we're gathered here together to say, good, good, Nineveh is dead. Nineveh is gone. The Assyrians are wiped out. Good. Imagine a funeral like that. But that's what God says he's going to do. And then he provides an example in verses 8 through, nine, eight through 10 of uh, uh, the city of Thebes. Thebes fell uh, to, the, uh, uh, to the ruler Assurbanipal. We talked about him in the introduction. He died in 612. In 663, and uh, it, it, it's interesting that Thebes was twin cities built along the Nile, so that the Nile, and the, the, the text says it, it kind of became part of the defense, right? You, you can't attack something from the water. You have to go someplace else, so those other places could be extra, extra. It, it was, uh, up to then, it was called uh, impregnable. Can't, can't get to it. You can't go by the water, right? The, the, it's flowing. What do you do? In your rowboat, you're going to right, float by trying to shoot hours? You can't do it. But, but here it is. Took it apart. It's on the water. It, it, was, it was this ma major fortress, and God says, I'm just going to take it all down. And they got no help from anybody who could help. There was no help from fellow Egyptians. No help from Libyans, no help from uh, uh, the city of Put, and the combined helpers couldn't stop the, the, the fall. They, did, they didn't come. And by that time, then Assyria had conquered nearly the entire inhabited world. Are you better than Thebes? The answer is, is no, because if I, could, if I could have you conquer something that's impregnable, what could I do to, to your city? Uh, the results of uh, Thebes' destruction, they, they went into exile, they went into captivity, infants were killed. Uh, it, it's a, uh, it's a, the level of highest cruelty that you can't, you can't take the heart out of a nation more than to kill their children. You, a, a conqueror comes, you're coward in your living room, you're holding your baby and they take the baby and just smash it against, uh, that's the picture. What, what are you going to do? My baby, my baby. That's all you're going to think about. But it, it forces in your mind and heart that I've been defeated. They've taken the, 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 the dearest thing from me w without regard to life. But the, again and again, the same thing is, is repeated. It's cruelty that's designed to completely take the spirit out of anybody. Lots cast for the honored men and great men bound in chains. It doesn't matter. You could say, wait a minute, what's going on here? I'm the mayor of Thebes. I'm the king of Thebes. Oh, here, put these chains on. You're going into exile. God is, is showing them that picture. And then verse 11 to 13 uh, uh, results for Nineveh. You also will be drunken. Uh, drunken is a picture of, of, of God's judgment. Uh, Psalm 75, verse 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, 
with foaming wine well mixed, and he pours out from it, and all the wicked of the earth shall drain it down to the dregs. You want to be drunk? Well, one day you're going to be forced to be drunk. You'll be drunk with God's wrath. What a shame. Jeremiah 25, 15, 17, take the cup, make all the nations drink, and they'll stagger, and they'll sit, they won't be able to respond to the sword that I'm sending. Verse, another verse in Jeremiah, drink, be drunk, and vomit, fall, and rise no more because of the sword that I'm sending among you. You remember the picture of drunkenness in Nahum's prophecy, the, the, the the, the picture of drunken men trying to defend, you can't do it. Plus, God adds the thing of hiding and looking for refuge. And a number of the prophets bring up that theme. There will be no place to hide. No place to hide. There's pictures in the Old Testament, how far they, how far they chased other nations. There's Verses that we looked at where people said, I, I want the rocks and hills to follow me. The idea is there is no place to hide. And God causes this uh, to happen. And then, really from verse 12 on, is a very picturesque uh, uh, section of their destruction. Verse 12, it takes a, a, a picture of a fig tree that's completely ripe and ready. And like, like many fruit trees, you could go up to that fig tree and just shake like crazy. And here they come. They're totally ripe. They're ready. But what are they going to do? They're going to be shaken and fall into the mouth of the eater. That's what, that's what Nineveh is going to be like. Just like a fig tree. Here's, here's Babylon. Here's the conquering nation. Shake them down, here they come. They're ours now. The, the next picture, your troops are women. Your troops can't be women, right? There's fighting men all throughout the Old Testament. There's fighting men, men of valor, men of skill, men on chariots, men of war, and they always go out. And, and sometimes they don't come back. Remember the picture of Jerusalem. One woman is asking Seven women are asking one guy, be, be our uh, husband. There's, no, there's nobody left. He's picturing that the only people that are left to defend the place are, are women. Your troops are women. All right, let's get these women together. We're going to battle. Doesn't happen. The gates are wide open to your enemies and fire has devoured your bars. Uh, the gates being opened is bad and fire devouring is that picture it comes up and up and up and then 14 to 17 it, it, it's, it continues this picturesque destruction it's catastrophic destruction it, it, it is like a taunt or a sarcasm draw water and build their walls stronger that's the picture here come the babylonians let's let's See what we got to do. Get water. Well, in sieges, in every one, the first thing they cut off is the water supply. Now you have just what's left. That's all. All the water you have to gather into pots, pans, however you keep it. Uh, it, it it's recorded in history. That's one of the first things they did. 
They, they had a, a viaduct or some source that came into Nineveh. The first thing they did, stop the water. You can't live without water. And, and Nineveh was under siege about two years. And then all these pictures, get the mortar, step on this, build this, fortify this, build this over here. Look, they might come through here. Build this up, build this up. But what does God say? Fire and sword rage in the city and they devour and you're cut off. All the preparations, all trying to build the wall, get the mortar, get this, build this. It didn't work. And then there's a very interesting uh, picture in verses 15 through 17. And, and God goes back in the locust picture to say, well, you're like locust, but this is like locust, and that's like locust. And you, you just, you can follow along. The mixed locust grasshopper picture, verse 15, uh, verse 15, notice, they're devoured like a locust plague. There the fire will devour you, devour you, and sword will cut you off. It will devour you like locust. So, okay, we understand that. Here comes the army. It's just like a locust plague. They're going to come. But then what, what does God say in 15b? Multiply yourselves like locusts. Multiply like the grasshopper. Here is kind of a taunting thing. He says, it doesn't matter how much you multiply. It doesn't matter how much your goods were multiplied. That was some of the things that he talked about before. It doesn't matter how much your prey is multiplied. It's going to be like locusts are coming towards you. But, but here's the taunt. Make yourself as strong as possible. Multiply yourself like another uh, locust herd. Or uh, well, locust isn't a herd. Uh, you increased your merchants more than the stars of the heaven. The locust spreads its wings and flies away. You got all these riches, but a locust just comes and then it's gone. That's what you're going to be like. Your princes are like grasshoppers. Your scribes, like a cloud of locusts settling on the fence in the day of cold. When the sun rises, they fly away. Well, where, where Nineveh, where's your princes? Where, where's all your scribes? They're gone. Well, what are you talking about? There was just thousands of them here. There was just thousands of people in the city. No, they're gone. And God keeps using that picture. Locusts are going to come and attack you. Well, multiply yourselves. Go ahead. But all your princes, all your scribes, everybody, it, when the sun rises, they're going to fly away. And then, and then verse 17 underscores it. And no one, no one knows where they are. If I was in Nineveh and I ran away... I'm just running away. I'm just getting out of there. Oh, by the way, brother, I'm going to head south and then I might turn east, okay? No, God says no one knows where they are because everybody just got out of there and ran away as fast as they could. Well, I might stop at such and such a place. You know, look me up. No, your whole city is being destroyed. Like locusts coming in and locusts going out. That, that's the picture. And here's the, the, final, the final ruin and more images. And notice in verses 18 and 19, the king is addressed. In, in a sense, God gets more personal than he has before. And he says, your shepherds are asleep 
O king of Assyria. I, I'm, I'm talking to you. Your nation is in trouble, O President Biden. Your nation is in trouble, O Vladimir Putin. God could say it, and he could tell them what's going to happen to them. He could tell them what is he's planning for their nations, just like that. Oh, what are you talking about? And the president of the most powerful nation in the world, not, not anymore. Because you will not rule or reign one day more than God ordains. You will not rule or reign or attack the Ukraine or attack somebody else. You will not rule or reign or try to take over Myanmar one day more than the Lord Jehovah ordains. It won't happen. But look, princes and scribes, I'm sorry, the king is addressed. What has become of his people? Daniel says to Belshazzar, you remember the, the writing went on the wall. And Daniel says, but the God in whose hand is your breath and who are all your ways, you have not honored. He, he brought out the vessels that they took from the temple. A thousand, a thousand people, I think it said they had. Next thing you know, he's drinking. This is great. We're Babylon. We conquered everybody. Hand writes on the wall. The guy, he became unglued. It says he turned pale. And his, his joints, his knees were knocking together. But this is what all the rulers need to know. God, in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways you have not honored? The shepherds are asleep, it says, and the nobles are slumber. Uh, the New King James has a, an italics in the dust that I think that, that, that leans towards, the, yeah, they, they, they're, they're dead. But, but either they're asleep, they, they really can't figure out, is Babylon coming? I don't know. We're, we're, you know, uh, pass the wine, pass the wine. I, I don't have to worry about people. We, we, this is a fortress we got here. Either they're asleep that way or they're dead. And, and notice it's all... Everybody in society, a shepherd was nothing, right? A shepherd, yeah, you, you follow sheep, big deal. But it's different than a noble. But everybody's asleep. Either they're physically asleep, they're unaware of what's going on, or, or they're already dead, different members of society. The people are scattered then uh, with, with none to gather. Your people are scattered on the mountains with none to gather. The mountains are a place where there might be safety because you can hide here and there. Right? If you're on the plane, <laughs> you got a problem. Well, you get to the mountains, you hide in the mountains. Common picture. No one to gather them. No one is saying, come back. We need one last charge. We have to organize the troops again. It's too late. There is no one easing your hurt. Your wound is grievous. And this... Uh, this is a fatal wound. He's, he's telling the king, you're going to have a fatal wound uh, physically or whatever. The, your city is going down. No easing your hurt. Your wound, your wound uh, is grievous. So you got scattered people. You have a deadly wound. Uh, we're, we're familiar 
we're familiar with wounds. Ahab was, was shot, right? The guy at random shot the thing. It went in between his armor. He knew that's it. This is fatal. He got off the battlefield. Saul, Saul had a wound. He knew I'm not recovering from this. You couldn't recover from anything that was right in here, right? You had a breastplate, but there's like five organs right here, aren't they? Well, we can't go here, but you hit here. Forget about it. Micah 1.9, Judah's wound is incurable. And that's what God's saying. O king, your wound is incurable. The grieve, this grievous blow is the final deadly wound. On the battlefield on Gettysburg, anybody who was trained, they could look. No, he's dead. He's not dead. He's screaming out in pain. But his wound is incurable. You can't fix that. We can't fix that. He's got a wound that, that inf inflicted three or four parts of his, his organs. He can't fix that. Not on a battlefield, not in July, not, you know. And that's the wound. And then all react to the news. Verse 19, all who hear the news about you will clap their hands. Good. I, I couldn't really find, I couldn't really find the, uh, a, a theology of the hand clapping because it's used in derision sometimes, but there's a psalm that says everybody should clap their hands and praise the Lord. But it, but it, but it, but it was a way, it, it, it was a way to, to let them know that we're happy that this is, is happening. Maybe not, maybe not like applause, like, a, like at a, a, a comedy show or, 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 or great performance. Uh, I'm reminded of a, of a movie where the, the people wanted to have solidarity and say the same thing. And that's how the, the one guy started. And pretty soon this guy started, that guy started pretty soon, right? And, and whoever was in charge was saying, stop it, stop it, stop the clapping. See, because they were showing solidarity. They all started clapping. And pretty soon there was all these men clapping. I forget the context. But, but, but that's the idea. Everybody is going to say, yeah, Nineveh fell. I'm glad. Lamentations 2.15. All who pass along the way clap their hands at you. This is talking about Israel, Jerusalem. They hiss and wag their heads at the daughter of Jerusalem. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty? Imagine that. It's in ruins. Is this the city that was called the perfection of beauty, the joy of the whole earth? It was. And then it's interesting. I just learned this recently. For upon whom has not come your unceasing evil. And Jonah and Nahum are the only books in the Bible that end with a question. If you, if you, if you learned anything today, learn more than that. Right? Oh, you know what I learned today? Well, there's more important stuff. But he leaves it out there. He leaves it in the king's face. This is all going to happen because who haven't you mistreated and treated cruelly? Constant evil came to all the nations. And I, I had some applications, but I think we can apply uh, quickly. 
Yahweh knows the exact sins of every nation and every people. Yahweh calls everybody to repent and believe. Yahweh is the sovereign ruler and Lord of all the nations that he knows. Yahweh determines all, all that will happen to wicked cities, the timing, the results. And, and we've seen it before in our studies. The world map has changed because of God's judgments. And, and then finally, our hope is in Jesus Christ's blood atonement. Because no war, no nation, no president, no ruler. Yes, they could conquer us. Yes, they could tear our children apart. Yes, they could do wicked, horrible things. But if my hope is in Jesus Christ, that hope is sure. And nothing, nothing can ever take it away. Let's pray. God, we're thankful for the prophecy of Nahum, how much we've, we've learned. We pray that you would write these words on our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.